SEP Fanfic Readings presents A Thousand Words by Olive Juice 28 Chapter 3 The Verdict Draco's trial was set for July 18th, and that morning he woke hours before the guards brought him his breakfast. He was allowed a change of prison robes and a chance to wash up and attempt to make himself look slightly more presentable, before being escorted to the ministry. He wasn't sure what to expect. Harry had said that some trials drew quite the crowd, like his father's, but others consisted of just the accused, any witnesses, and the members of the Wizengamot. Draco was sure a reporter or two would be lurking around there since all the trials had been covered to the papers so far. He tried to ignore the brick forming in the pit of his stomach as he entered the room. He was led to a chair in the center of the floor, and as soon as he sat down, chains wound around his wrists and ankles. He glanced about quickly, but only members of the Wizengamot were present, and he started to get nervous. Harry said he would be there. Minister Shacklebolt took his place, and Draco's heart began to pound. Where was Potter? As the minister called the proceedings to order, Draco heard the door at the back of the courtroom open. Turning slightly, he saw not only Harry, but Ron and Hermione sliding into seats in the front row. Harry caught his eye and nodded his head encouragingly. Confusion filled Draco's mind. Why were the other two here? Were they there to provide moral support for Potter? Were they there in hopes that he would get what he deserved? His cheeks burned with humiliation and anger. He was not going to let them see him weak or defeated. If he was sentenced to fifty years, he would accept it with his head held high, and they could kiss his— "'Court will now come to order,' Minister Shacklebolt's deep voice echoed around the chamber, causing Draco to jump in his seat a little. "'Today we will hear the case against Draco Lucius Malfoy, who has been charged with attempted murder, endangering the lives of fellow students, torturing multiple victims, and being in league with Voldemort.' We will begin by hearing from several witnesses. The minister gestured towards Harry, but Draco couldn't get past the phrase, several witnesses. Surely the other two weren't testifying on his behalf. Harry sat on the witness stand and addressed the court. He had discussed the basics of what he planned to say with Draco during several of his visits, but either Draco had forgotten the finer points, or Harry had been exceptionally vague. To hear him tell it, Draco was an innocent kid forced into serving the Dark Lord, brainwashed by his father, and driven by fear for his own life and that of his mother. Harry told of the day he walked in on Draco in the boys' bathroom. Draco remembered that day, and the duel that took place that left him permanently scarred, but Potter focused on the fact that Draco had been crying, and clearly distraught over the task before him. He also described the night at the top of the astronomy tower, when Draco had held a defenseless Dumbledore at wand point, but had lowered his wand and made no move to actually cast any sort of curse. Finally, Harry talked about the day that he and his friends were brought to Malfoy Manor, and how Draco had refused to identify them to his aunt, which would have resulted in immediate death for all three of them. He did a masterful job of painting Draco as a sympathetic figure, a young, impressionable boy who was surrounded by the wrong people, and forced into a life he didn't choose. When he finished speaking, a member of the Wizengamot asked one final question. "'Do you believe Mr. Malfoy should receive further time in Azkaban for his crimes?' Without missing a beat, Harry firmly replied, No. The minister dismissed him, and as Harry stepped down from the stand, Draco could barely meet his eyes as his cheeks burned again, but this time in shame. He didn't deserve Potter's support, and now he owed him so much more than a blasted thank-you note. Before he could even begin to consider this, however, Ron was called to the stand. Ron's testimony was shorter than Harry's, and slightly less passionate, but focused mainly on the night at Malfoy Manor since that was the only event previously mentioned that he was present for. He did add, though, that when Draco was sent down to the dungeon to get Griphook for questioning, that he didn't try anything to make things worse for them. 
Ron said he knew Draco was terrified, and he didn't blame him for the things that happened. He also stated that he had observed a gradual decline in Draco's physical being during their sixth year, that he thought Draco looked exhausted and overwhelmed, with dark circles under his eyes and a grayish tint to his skin. "'Malfoy was a lot less of a prat that year,' stated Ron. "'I suppose because he was so overwhelmed with what Voldemort wanted him to do. He was missing classes and falling behind in his work, and constantly seemed to be stressed.' A different member of the Wizengamot asked Ron the same final question that he had asked of Harry. "'No,' said Ron. "'I'm pretty sure everything that's happened, with the couple of months he's already been there, have been bad enough.' After that statement, Ron was dismissed, and as he stepped down, he glanced at Draco with his brows furrowed and gave a small shrug. Draco's discomfort was steadily increasing. It had been bad enough to envision Harry defending him, only to then be sent back to Azkaban. But to have Ron— who he never liked and the feeling was completely mutual, speak on his behalf was a tremendously humbling experience. The members of the Wizengamot quietly discussed the testimony they had just heard as Shacklebolt shuffled papers on his podium. The court would like to call Miss Hermione Granger to the witness stand. If it were possible to feel any worse for the brick in his stomach to grow any larger, then Draco did. What in Merlin's name could Granger say that would help him? Of the three members of their little gang, she was the one he had always been the worst to. The prejudice he had been raised with had allowed absolutely no room for any kind of understanding or tolerance, and he had gone out of his way to prove to her that she was worthless. His heart started racing as he considered the fact that her experience at Malfoy Manor could be enough to dismantle anything Potter or Weasley just said. She had been tortured and cruciate on his drawing room floor, while he stood by and did nothing. There's no way she could put a positive spin on that. Hermione took her seat, and Draco noticed she looked worn out. She was missing her usual confidence, and there was a slight slump to her shoulders. She looked reluctant to be there, and he felt pretty sure he could imagine why. "'Miss Granger,' a female member of the court spoke up, "'you wish to speak on behalf of Mr. Malfoy?' "'Yes,' she answered, looking down at her hands in her lap. "'Correct me if I'm wrong, Miss Granger, but weren't you tortured by the use of Cruciatus Curse in his home?' asked the same witch." Hermione looked the woman squarely in the eye, sat up a little straighter, and replied, "'Yes, I was, but seeing as it was Bellatrix Lestrange who attacked me, and not Draco Malfoy, I failed to see the relevance.' Minister Shacklebolt chuckled softly under his breath, and cut the Wizengamot witch off from any further questions, instead asking Hermione something else entirely. "'Miss Granger, the court knows you were present at Malfoy Manor for the same events that both Mr. Potter and Mr. Weasley recounted earlier. It is my understanding that you wish to speak on a different matter.' "'Yes, Minister,' Hermione said with a nod of her head. "'I wanted to speak to Malfoy's actions as a means to protect his mother. "'If anyone understands the lengths a son or daughter might go to in order to protect their parents, it's me.' Draco was confused. What was Granger going on about? He watched her take a deep breath and noticed her hands clenched together in her lap. He saw her close her eyes for a split second and then open them to focus on a spot somewhere on the floor in front of her. And then she started to speak— Draco listened as she told the Wizengamot how she obliviated her parents' memories before she went on the run with Harry and Ron, how she completely erased herself from their lives, moved them to another continent, and gave them entirely new identities, all in order to keep them out of harm's way. She had been afraid, and rightfully so, he knew, that the Death Eaters would hunt her parents down in an attempt to find her, and that they would be tortured and killed for their lack of information. Hermione then explained, in a quieter voice, that she had spent the past two weeks in Australia trying to lift the spell and get their memories back, but she had been unsuccessful. As she finished speaking, she wiped a lone tear that had fallen on her cheek and took another breath. 
Thank you, Miss Granger, said Shacklebolt kindly. You are correct. There are great lengths to which one might go to protect those they love. Hermione nodded and stepped down, keeping her eyes on the floor. Draco felt like a flattened quaffle, like someone had squeezed all the air out of him. He had no idea, why would he really, about her parents. He felt miserable. An entirely new wave of shame crashed over him as he considered her testimony. Yes, his priority over the last two years had been to protect himself and his mother, but would he have had the courage to do something like that? Would he have given his mother up to keep her safe? Could he have been that selfless? Part of him wanted the courtroom floor to swallow him up, and another part of him wanted to rush over to Hermione and beg for her forgiveness. Of course, neither of those things happened, as instead, Shacklebolt turned his attention to the stack of parchment in front of him that contained Draco's written testimony, as well as statements from several Order members and Hogwarts faculty. Draco tuned much of it out as he continued to mull over the testimonies given on his behalf. He knew he didn't deserve any of their help or support, and mentally added it to the growing list of things he would need to make reparations for in some way. The minister then announced that the court would be taking a break to discuss testimonies and decide on a sentence. Apparently, the accused were meant to remain chained in their seat until the verdict was given. The break Shacklebolt spoke of consisted of him casting a silencing charm that spread the length of the benches upon which the members of the Wizengamot sat. Draco tried to school his face to look impassive, as if their deliberations meant little to him, but he couldn't help watching as they discussed his fate. Many of them looked concerned, nodding along with the minister's words. Others looked skeptical, and a few wore expressions of disgust or anger. Several times he caught the eye of various members. One wizard nodded in his direction before turning his attention back to the discussion. The witch who had tried to question Hermione about being tortured fixed him with a beady-eyed stare for several minutes. At one point, everyone stopped talking and focused on Shacklebolt. When he finished speaking, Draco watched as a majority of the members raised their hands. His heart was in his throat. Were these the ones condemning him? Shacklebolt spoke again, and a handful of witches and wizards raised their hands. Draco noticed that they had sterner, harder expressions on their faces. He assumed that that was the end of their deliberations, but Shacklebolt continued to speak. As he went on, again, a majority of the members nodded in agreement, and at the end raised their hands. A few of those who had been part of the minority previously raised their hands as well. Only four wizards and one witch refrained this time, all of them looking gravely disapproving, but resigned to the outcome. Glancing over his shoulder, Draco saw the golden trio still sitting in the same spot, talking quietly together. Harry looked up and caught his eye, and raised his eyebrows in a maybe-we're-in-luck sort of gesture. Draco nodded once and turned back to the front as the minister waved his wand, removing the spell and prepared to conclude the trial. Ladies and gentlemen, esteemed members of the Wizengamot, a verdict has been reached in the case of Draco Lucius Malfoy. Draco went cold. His mouth drier than a desert, his heart pounding in his ears to the point he was afraid he wouldn't be able to hear the verdict properly. It is the belief of the majority of this court that Mr. Malfoy should not be held fully responsible for his actions while under the command of Voldemort. The tasks he was given were not optional, and he undertook them solely to preserve his own life and that of his mother. He did not murder Albus Dumbledore, nor did he turn Mr. Potter, Mr. Weasley, or Miss Granger over to the Death Eaters. Draco was pretty sure all of the blood had left his face at this point, and his hands started shaking. Was the minister really giving evidence of his innocence? While Mr. Malfoy has undoubtedly made some questionable decisions of his own, it is in the opinion of the court that none of his actions are worthy of further time in Azkaban. Due to his age and lack of consent to his situation, Mr. Malfoy will be sentenced to three years probation. 
This period of time will be a combination of house arrest, community service, and the completion of his eighth year at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. He will be appointed a ministry-approved liaison who will meet with him regularly and will accompany him any time he needs to leave Malfoy Manor. His wand will remain in ministry custody for the duration of the summer holiday. At this point, Shacklebolt looked directly into Draco's wide eyes. Mr. Malfoy, this court is giving you a second chance. Use it to do something positive with your life, something for the greater good. Draco nodded and croaked out. Yes, sir. I, I will. The minister smiled kindly. I'm sure you will. I expect great things from you, Draco. With a wave of his wand, the restraints on Draco's wrist and ankles went slack, and the buzz of quiet conversation filled the courtroom. Draco continued to sit, dumbstruck in his seat. He was free. He was going home. His throat felt tight and his hands were still shaking. He didn't know how long he'd sat there and when he noticed a pair of trainers shuffle into view. Looking up, he saw Harry standing there, hands in his pockets, and a wide grin on his face. "'Didn't I say you'd be next?' he asked. "'Yeah,' said Draco. "'I don't—' "'I can't tell you.' He heaved a big sigh. "'Thank you, Potter. I know that's not anywhere near enough. But—' Harry cut him off with a wave of his hand. "'You're welcome. It's over. Let's get out of here, yeah?' Draco allowed himself a genuine smile for the first time in what felt like years— his heart, though still pounding, felt much lighter, and he stood and held his hand out to his former rival. Harry looked mildly surprised, but grasped it in a firm shake and gestured to the doors. After collecting his few belongings from a small room, mainly the clothes he'd been wearing when he was arrested, Harry led him down the hall towards the lifts. As the grill closed, Harry spoke. "'Prepare yourself. There will be reporters in the atrium. There's a direct path laid out for anyone leaving the trials to go straight to the nearest flue.' The first day of trials was a total disaster, with reporters bombarding aurors, witnesses, released prisoners, everyone. Even with this designated path, it's still intense. Draco tried to look calm and unbothered by his information. Right, he said coolly. The lift stopped, and as the grill started to slide open, he heard the crowd before he saw them. Flashbulbs were immediately going off, and unknown voices were calling his name and Harry's. Harry turned a glance at him. Fourteen steps, Malfoy. Let's go. Draco wanted to scoff at the silly statement, but as soon as he took one step out of the lift, he was completely overwhelmed. Reporters and interested parties were pressing in as close as they could before the magical barrier stopped them. He could see the pathway, edged by a faintly glowing yellow line, directing him to the nearest flue. Fourteen steps, Harry had said, so Draco started counting, letting his voice in his head drown out the craziness around him. One, two, three... Mr. Malfoy, how do you feel? Do you think you deserve this freedom? Does your mother know you've been freed? Six. Seven. Mr. Potter, why did you feel the need to defend a Death Eater? Do you believe Mr. Malfoy has truly seen the error of his ways? Nine. Ten. Where are Mr. Weasley and Miss Granger? How do you think Lucius Malfoy will react to the release of his son? Almost there. Is it true that you will be going back to Hogwarts, Mr. Malfoy? Ignoring the slew of questions that was shouted at them as they made their way to the fireplace, they did not even pause as they reached the hearth, both of them staring straight ahead. Draco was determined not to let any emotion cross his face, not to give them a single thing to focus on or to pick apart in the articles he knew would be written before the day was over. He hadn't even thought to ask why Harry was stepping into the green flames with him, and was slow to comprehend that they both stepped out into the foyer of Malfoy Manor. Immediately he was pulled into a choking embrace by someone sobbing his name. "'Draco! I can't believe you're home!' Narcissa cried, shaking harder than she even had been earlier. "'Yes, mother. I'm home,' 
he said quietly, returning her embrace. When she finally released him, to Draco's amazement, Narcissa pulled his escort into an equally exuberant hug, exclaiming, "'You did it again, Harry!' "'Wait, since when did his mother call Potter Harry?' "'Well, I do try to keep my word, Narcissa,' said Harry, releasing her with a grin. "'What? They were on a first-name basis now?' Draco was starting to feel concerned that he had been led into a parallel universe. This was too much. "'So, I guess this is as good a time as any to let you know that I'm your ministry-appointed liaison, Malfoy,' said Harry with a small smirk. "'I asked to be your mother's after her trial, in the hopes that she could give me some information that might help with yours.' Kingsley agreed to let me take you on as well, since I already have to come here every week to comply with the terms of her probation. Draco's head was spinning. He was home. His mother was home. Harry had managed to pull this off for both of them, and now was going to be a constant part of his life for the foreseeable future. He wanted to cry with relief and laugh at the irony of it all. Instead, he settled for nodding at Harry and giving his mother another hug. "'I'll let you get settled and rested,' said Harry. "'I'll be back in two days to discuss the details of your probation "'and answer any questions you might have. "'Your flu was connected to the Ministry Atrium just to get you home. "'From now on, it will only be connected to the flu in the Aura's office. "'If you ever need to reach me, you can place a flu call, "'and the receptionist will alert me. "'If I'm not there, she can take a message. "'You are allowed to send owls, "'but all correspondence from anyone formerly connected with Voldemort "'is still being searched and reviewed, "'which means it takes about twice as long for letters to be received.' You're not actually allowed to leave your house unless I'm with you. He shrugged apologetically as he said the last part. Draco nodded, and for the second time that day, extended his hand out to Harry, who took it immediately and gave it a firm shake. I'm glad it worked out, Malfoy, said Harry. Draco could tell he meant it. The tightness in his throat was back, so he simply clapped his other hand on Harry's shoulder and nodded again. With that, Harry stepped back into the fireplace and was gone in a swirl of green flames.